Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. You need to believe in every opportunity that you have to be in his word and in his house among like-minded believers and all that goes into a service like this, that we don't just follow regimen and practice, but that you have an urgency, you have an expectation, you have a draw and a demand, amen? On worship, on the word, on the fellowship, the preaching, the teaching, all of it, that we come with an expectation And, um, you know, the enemy will rob you of the power of something even scriptural, even biblical, even something that contains power and contains uh, the transforming capacity of God's word. He will rob us of its true results if he can just get us inundated with the practice of something, with the motions of something, with just going through whatever we go through. So we need to have yielded hearts ready to receive with an expectation on your way here. Come with an expectation. Prayer in your heart. Father, whatever you put on Pastor Mark's heart, whatever uh, the, the worship team leads us in, I'm drawing, I'm demanding, I'm pulling, I'm expecting God to do something. In our minds, we put things on levels. Sundays here and then Wednesdays here and then uh, a fellowship or a Bible studies here and then a prayer meetings here. But God doesn't do that. God can show up just as mightily in a prayer meeting as he can on a Sunday morning. He can show up just as mightily with 10 people as he wants to with 300 people. Those things don't move God. Those things don't motivate God to all of a sudden move, okay, you got enough people, you filled enough seats, you made a a big enough attraction or a big enough pull. No, it's your heart that draws. It's your heart that pulls. I've I've been in, in, in prayer groups or little fellowships in a house with a handful of people and you did not wanna leave. You do not want to come out from under that anointing with an acoustic guitar, not even all the sound effects and all the stuff that we have. Come on, anybody with me? God wants to move in our midst, and we don't dictate what he moves in and what he doesn't. Your heart does. And so we don't want to put ourselves in a, well, it's just Wednesday night. Well, people are coming tired. Well, they just got off work. Well, we got a busy day tomorrow. That's garbage, guys. The enemy operates in those environments where we lack the demand and the draw and the intentionality. But God can do something right here that people hear about on Sunday. It's like, man, you just had to be there. You should have been at midweek. Should have come on Wednesday night. Should have made the investment. Should have made the sacrifice. Amen. And so thank God that you're here, but thank God that you came with an expectation. Amen. Go with me if you will. Um, I want to wrap up kind of what we've been talking about the last couple weeks. So go with me if you will to Ephesians chapter 6 kind of give a a brief recap. We've been talking about this issue of weariness, exhaustion, tiredness. It seems to be on everybody's tongue. It seems to be at the forefront of everybody's mind, how busy we are, how weary we get, how exhausted we just live day to day, exhausted with just almost no reprieve, no, uh, you know, 
I need some room to breathe. I need some room to just think you know, through what's going on. And the enemy reigns in these moments of weariness. The enemy uses these times of extreme exhaustion. And uh, so the, you know, the Bible tells us, do not be ignorant of the devil's devices. Do not be ignorant of how he operates and how he moves. Ephesians chapter six tells us that this is actually a strategy of the devil, that he strategizes and plans against your life by introducing items into your life that are going to wear you out. Amen. This is what he wants to do. And so Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, in conclusion, I'm reading out of the Amplified, in conclusion, be strong in the Lord. If he's encouraging us to be strong, that means that there must be uh, a temptation to become weak to withdraw, to lay down, to give up, right? To give out. But in conclusion, finally, after all is said and done, be strong in the Lord, empowered through your union with him. Draw your strength from him. So the second thing is, is when he begins to wear you down, then he begins to introduce things into your life that you try to draw strength from and they don't work, and it leaves you more tired than you were before you started, right? Because we're not drawing our strength from him. We're drawing our strength from time off, drawing our strength from vacations, drawing our strength from uh, binge-watching a show on Netflix, drawing our strength from whatever that is that we think invigorates us or strengthens us or encourages us. And I'm not knocking any of those things, but I'm telling you that if you don't go to the Lord first, you're gonna find yourself running around seeking after things to strengthen you, invigorate you, uh, uh, you know, put life back in you that it's man-made systems that will fail you every time. He tells us be strong, but not just strong, be strong in the Lord. Draw your strength from him, that strength which his boundless might provides. It means he's got enough strength for you. He says to put on God's whole armor, the armor of a heavy-armed soldier which God supplies. Now he begins to journey in this talk of battle, this, this warfare talk, this military campaign that we're waging a war or a war is being waged that we have now entered. We did not enter a cakewalk. We did not enter a uh, sit along by the side and just wait for Jesus to come and save us from this uh, dark, depraved world and, and get us up out of here. No, you were brought into a kingdom to wage war. The violent the, the kingdom suffers violence and the violent take it by force. You just entered a military campaign. Whether you knew that or not, you signed up for warfare. You signed up for battle. You signed up. And so there's a, there's a battle going on. There's warfare taking place. There's a war being waged and we need to be aware of this, he says. Put on your armor, God's armor of a heavy armed soldier that you may be able, here it is, to successfully stand up against all the strategies and the deceits of the devil. 
you need to be able to stand up against. The New King James reads to be able to withstand. Everyone say withstand. Withstand Withstand means to resist. Withstand means to outlast. Means to be the last man standing. That's withstanding. To withstand an attack, to withstand a strategy of the enemy, to withstand his next idea, his next thing that he's introducing. And this is the thing, guys. If we don't develop a resistance, we will eventually develop a tolerance. What's the saying? If you don't ever stand for anything, or if you don't, what do you stay? If you don't stand for anything, you'll fall for everything. Eventually, if we don't develop the ability to withstand or resist, we eventually allow it. Now, that does not mean you agree with it. The enemy could care less if you disagree, as long as you do nothing about it. The enemy could care less if you uh, don't agree with what he's introducing, as long as you never say anything about it, as long as you never push back as long as you lay down and take, give up ground, give up territory for him to work in and to operate. And you can spew all you want on Instagram and Facebook, your disagreement, and I don't like this, but if you're not motivated to be a solution, if you're not motivated to do something about it, if you're not motivated to stand up against darkness, stand up against the strategy of the devil, stand up against the plan of attack, he could care less what you think about it. He doesn't care about your opinion. He does not. The devil could care less about your opinion of what he's introducing in the world. And let me tell you, the people that are introducing it can care less too. They don't care as long as you're not motivated to do anything about it. If you settle for it, you can never be a solution for it. I'll say that again. If you settle for it, you can never be a solution for it. If you tolerate it, if you allow it, if you remain silent, what you think about it in your mind, what you believe about it in your heart doesn't matter until you're motivated to say, I resist that. I rebuke that. I refuse that in my community. I stand up against that in my schools. I'm not tolerating that in my sphere of influence. Come on. But this takes some withstanding, some resisting, this waging of warfare and this standing against, and the enemy wants to wear you down. And the more you become wore down, the more exhausted you become, the slower to responding that we are, the least likely we are to resist something that eventually now we will tolerate it, allow its activity. And we don't wanna get there, do we? And he reminds us in verse 12, we're not wrestling with flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents. That lets us know again, this one way that the enemy attacks is to get you so uh, uh, moved by, angry at, frustrated with a person, a flesh and blood object that we exert all of our energy (laughs) on a force that's not even our enemy. We exert all of our focus and all of our attention and this and that and the right and the left and my spouse and my boss and my kids and and this and we make enemies out of the very thing that God is calling us to redeem and save 
We're fighting the wrong battle, using up all of our energy on the wrong battle, and we have nothing left for him. I'm convinced that there are, uh, uh, most of the time, the opportunity is that the devil is sitting by, and he's not even having to attack us because we're busy attacking each other. He's not even having to bring the issue. And we can blame it on the devil all along. He's like, man, I didn't have anything to do with that. You did that all to yourself. Huh? We blame the devil for stuff. We blame God for stuff. And they're both like, we ain't even had anything to do with that. I mean, I, I, the devil's like, I can attack. I can, I can strategize. I can plan an attack. But, you know, you're doing more damage to yourself than I could, that not, I could ever do. We could get out of our own way, Right? Well, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So, uh, you know, when I get exhausted, when I get weary, I usually start attacking the wrong thing. Come on, you know, your, your marriage struggles the most when you're tired, you're weary. I've been watching the kids all day long and now you're attacking each other and you're at each other's throats and you're short with one another. Same thing with our kids, same thing with our bosses, our employers, our employees. Uh, you know, when we get exhausted and overwhelmed and, uh, you know, just so weary with things, man, we, we do not have the rightness of mind, the soundness of mind to approach something properly, to be patient and long-suffering. I mean, all these things come from, you're just wore out, man. We got to find a way to stay resistant without growing weary. But we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, contending with only physical opponents, but against the despotisms, powers, the master spirits who are the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spirit forces of wickedness in the high and the heavenly supernatural sphere. And Paul had no problem letting you know where the real battle is. That's not there to scare you. It's there to prepare you. I heard someone say that one time. Revelations was not written to scare you. It was written to prepare you. There's nothing there. And I don't care how many uh, heads this beast has. I don't care how many thorns or, or horns are coming out of it. I don't care how many eyes and the different. I mean, you see some pretty freaky stuff in there. But it's not there to scare you, not a believer, not a child of God, not a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. It's just there to simply prepare you. And Paul has no problem letting this, the, this church at Ephesus, these believers at Ephesus know where the real attack is. And as believers, that shouldn't scare us that there are supernatural powers and rulers of darkness and agendas and spirits behind. You are called to cast out spirits. Demons, demonic activity. You were assigned to cast that out, not put up with it, not run from it, not tolerate it and allow it. I'm convinced in this country that a lot of what the Bible would call a demonic force, we have labeled, diagnosed, and medicate. When at the core, it's a spirit and needs to be cast out. And that's not hard. You can't find me a time where Jesus struggled to get a demon cast out of somebody. He had no problem. And he said, these works that I do, you will do. We love the Great Commission when it's going and winning souls. We don't like the part where it's laying hands on the sick, seeing them recover, cast out demons, taking up deadly serpents and 
you know, we, again, we, we want the carefree, cushy life through the beds of, bed of roses. Come on. That's all the Great Commission. All of them, guys. Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and Acts chapter 1 is all the same thing. We don't get to pick and choose what the Great Commission. We need to be following the Great Commission. You're absolutely right. All of it. <laughs> all four of them. It's the same conversation. It's just broken up from different people's accounts. So Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24. Luke 24 says, go and tarry and wait for the promise. That's part of the Great Commission. We've eliminated being filled with the Holy Spirit. We talked about that on Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we wonder why we're not producing, because we need the Holy Spirit to do the Great Commission. We need the Holy Spirit just to be witnesses, he says. You shall receive power when the promise of the Father comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. All right, so we need these things. Uh, verse 13, therefore, put on God's complete armor, here it is, that you may be able to resist and stand your ground. And again, this is not a resist or a stand your ground in a defensive, passive way. This is a very aggressive stand your ground. This is a very proactive stand your ground. This is a very much, the church is not on the defensive. Get rid of that imagery and picture out of your mind. We are not trying to hold off the devil and he's just beating us down. If we can just hold out until Jesus comes. We are taking territory. We are gaining ground. And then when we take the territory, we keep the territory. Occupy till I come is what Jesus said. You are the most offensive weapon on the face of the planet. You are God's plan of attack. Because he said the gates of hell would not prevail, would not prevail, would not prevail. That sounds to me like hell's on the defensive. Huh? Their gates won't, not our gates. He doesn't say your gates will keep the devil out. He says the gates of hell cannot keep the church out. That means we're moving in on his territory and we're tearing his gates down. We got to get this imagery, guys. And I, we say it all the time. We are not fighting for a victory. <laughs> we're fighting from victory. Jesus said it very clear. It is finished. I have overthrown death, hell, and the grave. I have the keys in my hand. And now I give to you, the church, the authority to tear down these principalities and these powers and these rulers of darkness, these spirits that are operating wickedness in unseen places. And the enemy wants you to get your eyes on the scene, get weary, wore out, and tired, get exhausted, unable to stand your ground. The very next phrase in verse, um, no, we're still there in 13, put on God's complete armor. You may be able to resist and stand your ground on the evil day of danger. And having done all the crisis demands, we're not trying to avoid crisis, right? We're enduring crisis. We're overcoming crisis. Stand therefore, hold your ground, having tightened the belt of truth around your loins and having put on the breastplate of integrity, moral rectitude, and he goes on with the 
armor of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Everyone say according to. Okay, so we live in the flesh, but you got to remember that you are a spirit having a natural experience, not a human having a spiritual experience. Remember that? You're a spirit being first in a human body, not a human having a spiritual experience. So we got to address things on the right level. Got to address things at their core. Got to address things where the real issue is. The real issue is not on the surface. That's where we see the issue. That's where the issue really manifests itself. That's where we really see the, the, the end result, if you will. But the enemy is the one introducing this in a spiritual capacity. And so therefore, we are not fighting on a natural level. We are fighting on a spiritual level. Give me that verse one more time. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse three. Though we walk in the flesh, that word walk means live. We do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself. We saw last week that the first place the enemy attacks or begins to wear you down is in your thought life. If he can wear you down in your mind, he can wear you out in your life. And so he introduces thoughts, right? We, we use the whole example of a thought comes and do you entertain it? Do you invite it in? Do you take care of it? Do you cater to it? Do you allow that thought to just run rampant in your life? Do you allow that thought to take over? Do you allow your imagination to imagine and think of uh, in uh, of, of the evil or the darkness or the, the wrong thing? Because that's where the enemy breaks you down first. If you're seeing it in your life, guys, you've introduced it in your mind first. You've allowed it in your thought life first. And again, we talk about the thought life a ton at Anchor Faith Church. We, we talk about the mind and guarding the mind, protecting the mind, setting the mind, fixing the mind. The Bible talks about this a lot. And nobody else has control. Nobody else has the responsibility of dictating, controlling, ruling over their thought life than we do. And it is one of the greatest areas of dominance you can operate in is when you can control your thought life. In any arena, you overcome first in your thought life before you overcome in your actual life. And you'll never see a result in your life contrary to what you first instill in your mind. If you continue to think on sickness and disease and the report from the doctor, you're not just all of a sudden gonna see healing and that thing turning a, a corner. And it, it's not gonna, it, it's not gonna be uh, you know, just lacing the word of God in there every now and then. Every now and then finding a healing scripture. Every now and then, uh, oh, God, I know your word. No, the, 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 the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. But it's the one that sets his mind on what the word of God says. 
Set your mind on things above, right? Colossians chapter three, not on things below. Colossians three, one through three. If, if then you've been raised with Christ, set your mind on those things where Christ is. Why? Because if I let those thoughts rule and reign in my mind, they'll eventually rule and reign in my life. So he tells us here in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, casting down arguments. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity. That means we're not taking care of the thought. We're not catering to the thought. We're not allowing that thought to rule and reign and dominate our lives. And we've said this before too. A lot of this is is reminders for us. But we need reminders, amen? Amen. We've said this before, that the same way your thought life can imagine the wrong thing, it can imagine the right thing. That honestly, worry and faith work the same exact way. It's the same mechanics. I mean, honestly, what is worry? Worry is imagining something that has not yet happened. What is faith? Believing something that has not yet happened. (laughs) Some of us are really good at imagining the wrong thing, and we struggle imagining the right thing. And part of that is just culture and society. We believe the negative thing way quicker or we are even drawn to, I mean, look at most headlines. Headlines are negative because that's what people want to read. People want to read the brokenness. People want to read who's failed this time. People want to read how somebody messed up because now it feels like it relates to our humanity and it relates, I just messed up this morning. He messed up too. And it's that got that relatable factor, but I don't need anything that relates with my human nature. I don't need stuff that always relates to my brokenness and my weird. I need something that relates to the in Christ in me. I need something that relates to the redeemed part of me, the new creation part of me. The old is gone and the new is come. And the word will always relate to your, but you know what? It challenges and it conflicts and it confronts the broken man. And we don't like that. We don't like how that feels. You're the righteousness of God. In, oh, Pastor Mark, I don't feel like it. I didn't ask you if you felt like it. I didn't give me on a scale of one to 10 how much of righteousness of, Christ, of God in Christ Jesus do you feel like? That, that is irrelevant. God has never consulted our feelings in, in determining our future. He never once said, how do you feel about mud on your eyes? You want to be healed? How, how do you feel about taking up your mat and, and going? How do you feel about cutting a hole in the roof? How do you feel about, he never once asked us for our feelings. But our world is so searching for things that tie to our feelings. It's this manipulative tactic of the enemy. No, he says we need to cast down these arguments. Cast down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bring it into captivity. Verse 6, ready to punish. Ready to punish. Verse 5 in the Passion Translation says we can demolish Every deceptive fantasy 
that opposes God. We're talking about overcoming weariness. And these, these thoughts that don't belong move you to exhaustion. You know, the enemy will wear you out in your mind and you've actually never even exerted any natural force or energy to something. You ever, you ever, like literally I've done, I've been inactive physically, but I feel wore out like I could hardly do another thing because my mind's been running the whole time. I lay around. Come on, not like I just worked a, a hard 10-hour shift. It's not like I just got done, you know, pulling up weeds. Or, but, but in your mind, you get so worn out here, it translates to your physical body. It's like, I don't feel like doing nothing. Yeah, we've all been there. Because that's the effect that your mind has. No wonder he says, think on these things. No wonder he says, be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayers. No wonder he says, set your mind. No wonder he says, cast down every thought and imagination. Demolish every fantasy. No wonder he's saying, take control, take captive of the thoughts that don't belong because they will rule your life. But man, it's amazing in the same accord on the flip side. If you can think the right things, it'll invigorate you. You could work a hard 10-hour shift and still feel life and invigoration because I've kept my mind right. It's that important. That's why if we're going to talk about the burdensome life, the weary life, the exhausted life, the, the uh, uh, plan of attack from the enemy to wear you out, we've got to talk about our thought life. You've, you, you cannot leave that out. The vacation is not going to help you if your thought life is out of control. <laughs> You'll go to the beach for three weeks with a thought life that's out of control and you'll come back more tired than you were with less money in the account <laughs> and a sunburn. Amen. Got to control the thought life. Dictate the thought life. Take control. Philippians chapter four, verse six. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God, which surpasses what? All understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. We saw last week that word guard is a military word, meaning to stand guard, stand post. Talking about warfare talking about waging war, military campaign. And if you can allow your heart, your mind, your eyes, your ears to be guarded, meaning don't leave them unguarded. Don't leave them vulnerable and susceptible to just anything. Guys, in, in a day and age where there is so much information, and so ease of information, we have to be all the more vigilant in guarding our heart and our mind. Because now it's only an arm's length away. You know when you need to shut the news off. You know when you need to disengage from that conversation. You know when you need to stop scrolling through. You know, you know. 
I've crossed the line. I've moved over into anger and frustration. I've moved over. Now, there's a righteous anger, but that also means that there's an unrighteous anger. And again, this is how the enemy wears us out, keeping us in front of it all the time, keeping it in front of us, constantly bombarding. A lot of the things that we would consider today as great technology or great advancements, the enemy has flipped it and used it against us. The ease of access, how quickly news spreads today. And you know, the negative always spreads way quicker than the positive. Isn't it amazing? The negative will make it around the earth 10 times before the positive has made it across the street. It's crazy. Because that's what our world feeds off of. It's what our world lives off of. So the enemy knows this. He uses these measures against us. We saw in the Passion Translation, verse six, really helps us understand this word anxious. Don't be pulled in different directions. The word worry or the word anxious in the Greek word right here that we see in the New, in the, uh, New Testament is actually, uh, it means to divide into parts. That's what worry means. It means to be divided. The enemy wants you to be divided. One way one time, one way the next time. Up one, up one second, down the next. Right? High, then lows. And this roller coaster of life that the enemy has us on, that's where anxiety and worry fuels itself off of the ups and downs. Don't be pulled in different directions. Of course, the word says, set your mind. That's not being pulled. And then we, we ended up in, in Matthew chapter six. I don't know if I gave that to the guys, but in Matthew chapter six, that's where Jesus says, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry, right? We saw that last week, do not worry. That's like the worst thing you could tell someone that's worrying. Hey, don't worry about it. Well, great. I'm worrying 10 times more than I was just because you said, don't worry. Hey, I don't want you to worry about it. Oh, that's awesome. That's, that's what you want to hear. Yet Jesus said, do not worry. But not only did he say, do not worry, he said, consider, consider the lilies of the field. Look at the birds of the air. And then he said this, seek first the kingdom. So it's not just, I won't worry, I won't worry, I won't worry. It's, I'm going to consider something different. I'm going to recall and reflect on something he's done for me. I'm going to remind myself. I'm going to seek after the things. So you've got to replace it. It's a replacement program. Trade in, right? You cast your cares, then don't pick them back up. Cast your cares and then think on his goodness. Think on his faithfulness. Think on how he brought you through before. So I want to use this real quick in the eight minutes that we have left. This happens every time. Acts chapter 4. And I know what you're thinking. Pastor Mark, you got longer than eight minutes. You can go as long as you want. I understand that. I can go as long as I want. But I also want to honor your time. I want to honor the time of all of our wonderful family team members that are watching your children. Amen. And I believe the Lord can help us communicate what we need to communicate in a diligent manner. You know, I, I do not intentionally try to be long-winded. I, I really don't. I say what needs to be said. 
My prayer is, Holy Spirit, help me say what needs to be said and nothing that does not need to be said. So if it comes out, hopefully it's the Holy Spirit and it's not me running off on a tangent. Part of that is being prepared and having my stuff in order. The less, the, 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 the less prepared I am, the more I'm prone to wander off and say things that don't need to be said. I'm just giving you a little insight in the preparation that I do because I do honor your time. I don't get up here and say, let's just hold them here for two hours. I got them hostage. Can't go anywhere. Everybody's gonna see you get up and leave and they're gonna know that person quit. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna do that to you. The proper homiletics, proper study and preparing and communicating the word of God is honoring someone's time. And we wanna do that. We wanna be diligent with that. And we're so thankful for everyone that's serving that isn't in this room. Amen. All right, so Acts chapter four. We're gonna kind of bounce around here, but I just wanna use this as an example. I wanna show you three ways to strengthen your resistance found in this passage. Three ways to strengthen your resistance. Brief recap, Acts chapter two, we know uh, the 120 are up in the upper room. The Holy Spirit falls upon them, Pentecost Sunday. We just introduced this and talked about this on uh, this past Sunday. It was Pentecost Sunday. It was uh, 50 days from the death of Jesus, 10 days from his ascension because he ministered for 40 days on the planet, right? So 10 days after he's ascended to heaven, they're in this upper room, 120 of them. Holy Spirit comes upon them. Man, they give this amazing message. 3,000 people come into the kingdom, right? Peter preaches the most bold message he's ever preached, done an amazing job. Acts chapter three, Peter and John are on their way to church. There's a lame man that's been lame from birth at the gate, begging of alms. They say, silver and gold we have none, but such as we do have, we give unto you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The man rises up, leaping, praising, running, shouting, demonstrating the goodness of God. And even more people are drawn because that's what a miracle does. A miracle is a dinner bell of salvation. Miracle says there is a God. He is true. He does still work. I believe in him and I wanna, see, I wanna make him Lord of my life. Well, not everybody's excited about that. I know we have this idea that we can just see more miracles, more signs, more wonders, less problems, right? Less tragedies, less issues, wrong. They are also the invitation for opposition. And in this moment, there were some individuals, the religious leaders and the, the cultural leaders of society at that time that said, we can't have this because just 50 days ago, we hung a man on the cross that we believe is still dead, but they're out here preaching that that man came back to life. We can't be letting this thing go on. But we got rid of Jesus, and now we have a bunch of Jesuses. That's what they're saying. That's what it means to be Christ-like, by the way. That your life scares them because they see the same qualities, the same actions, the same behaviors, the same talk, the same speech, the same miracles, signs, wonders happening in you that they just thought they got rid of in him. And so they arrest Peter and John and they hold them over to the next day. And in Acts chapter three, uh, we see them, you know, imposing their threats on them. We see them taking them in and threatening them even within an inch of their own lives. And guys, these guys are ready and able to carry this out. They will crucify you. 
we will do the same to you that we just did to your master and your leader, the, the, the Jesus, the, the king of the Jews that we just hung on that cross. We will do the same to you. We're not afraid of you. These people are not afraid of Christians. They're not afraid of religion. They're not afraid of, of, a, of a church that meets in a group on Sunday. The devil is not threatened by those things. It's not until we actually start demonstrating who we really are, that they start getting threatened. So in Acts chapter four, verse one, let's just look at verse one. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. We got 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. Now we got 5,000 from this lame man rising up. This is quite a haul of fish. This is quite a haul of out of darkness into light. This is quite a hall of people that say, we believe in the one true God. We believe that that man that we saw wandering this earth and doing all these signs, that he was the son of God. We believe. And so it's amazing that even in the midst of, of their trial, in the midst of their challenge, so we gotta keep a bigger picture because you might be getting opposed you might, having, you might be having to withstand or resist, but look at what God is doing. Zoom out just a little bit and look at all who are pronouncing faith in Christ. Look at all that's being, see, we gotta wake up. As a church in America, we gotta wake up. I know that darkness, depravity, all those things are ruling and reigning, but as a church, we're not losing. We're not. Oh, they're going away from the church in droves. For a lot of them, that's what they needed to do because there was nothing happening there worth activity. It was all religious in the first place. Don't just read a statistic and believe, well, we, we, the church is losing ground. We're losing young. No, young people are just figuring that it doesn't have to happen in a place like this. Now, they still need pastors. They still need shepherds. They still need the right community. But the, the revival that we just saw didn't have none of the stuff that we thought it takes to have a move of God. No lights, no smoke, no screens with words, no celebrity figure standing in the pulpit, no tweets and retweets, no, no, uh, you know, uh, it was just the raw move of God, people being submitted to, becoming repentant in their hearts and saying, I need more of this. And we're going to see more of that in these last days. So just because it looks different than what we have been told church is supposed to be, don't start buying the lie that all of a sudden the church is in its darkest days ever. No, we're in our brightest days. We're in our best days the church has ever seen. I want to remind you, the book of Acts was not written when the church was thriving in the sense of that what we would call thriving. They're being murdered. They're being hung on crosses. They're being boiled in oil and water. Wives are being widowed. Children are becoming fatherless in a second. Real life. And yet the church exploded out of this. 
The church grew. Out of, I mean, it spread. I don't know that comfort is to the church's greatest advantage. I think the church thrives way more in crisis than it does in comfort. But the church in America doesn't like that conversation. Come on. But comfort is not what these 120 were seeking. They didn't care about comfort. They cared about the spreading of the gospel, getting the word out, regardless of who denies it, regardless of who resists it. Some of us can't even stand for our faith on a Facebook post. And yet they're standing ready for their head to roll. Comfort's not helping us. But crisis, crisis will challenge us. It says, um, verse, go on to verse five. It came to pass on the next day, the rulers, elders, scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, as many of uh, the, the family of the high priest were gathered together. When they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Peter filled, why? Because of Acts chapter two. That's why Acts chapter two is necessary. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need the Spirit upon us and the Spirit within us. That's why we need the Holy Spirit actively working in our lives and our lives actively yielded to the work of the Holy Spirit. Not trying to cut him out, not trying to give him his little space and his little corner. All right, you got five minutes, don't go a hair over. No, we need to let the Holy Spirit have his way. We need the Holy Spirit to work in our lives because when you need to draw on the Holy Spirit, you're gonna wish you had it. When you get in a moment where I, I'm out of energy, I'm out of effort, I'm out of resource, you're gonna need the Holy Spirit. Peter now filled with the Holy Spirit. He begins to preach. He has this great message. Jump on down to verse 13. Verse 13 says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, watch this, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. They marveled when they saw not what was naturally produced, but what was spiritually produced. That word boldness there is not a boldness that is natural. It's not talking about uh, you just have a bold character or a bold demeanor. It's not talking about an extrovert versus an introvert. It's talking about something that's only derived from a spiritual reservoir a spiritual capacity. And we in these last days to overcome the weariness, overcome the exhaustion, to, re to resist and withstand, we're gonna have to have a supernatural boldness about us to speak up when no one else is speaking up, to say what no one else wants to say, to be the light in the midst of darkness, not to blend in, but to stand out, to be distinct and distinguished. It's gonna take boldness not cowardice, not fearful. It says that when they saw the boldness, they were uneducated. They saw that they were uneducated. They were untrained. Guys, we better get used to seeing God use people that we would say are unqualified. We better get used to seeing people rise up and say, who put them there? What did they do to get there? How did they get promoted? It's just a yielded heart. It's just someone willing to step up and stand out. Peter and John, there's nothing special about these guys. Nothing special. 
In fact, they possess qualities that would have disqualified them in the church today. Most of the Bible is full of people that would have been disqualified. Most of the Bible is full of people that were unqualified, didn't share any kind of quality or measure that says, you're the man that we need for this hour. Uneducated and untrained. That doesn't mean that we don't strive and we don't exert ourselves and we don't pursue excellence and we don't try to grow. And that's not what that means. It just means I don't rely on that. Then today I'm I'm relying on the reservoir of the Holy Spirit within me. I'm not relying on my diploma, not relying on my liking and my following, not relying on my ability to say just, I mean, even Paul said, I'm not coming to you with excellence of speech. (laughs) I'm coming to you with a passion and an urgency derived by the Holy Spirit within me. Amen. Verse 23. Uh, Look at verse 18. Jump up to verse 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. Wow. at the end of the day, we can only do what we know is right, regardless of what you think. These are two men that are not taking cues from the world. These are two men that are not trying to get along and compromise. There's an honoring of authority. There's an honoring of authority figures. In fact, Paul wrote that. But I'll remind you that Paul wrote, honor your leaders from a jail cell for disobeying said leaders. Apparently, honor doesn't mean just go along with whatever they say and dictate. Apparently, honor doesn't mean, well, if that's the end of the law, we better just keep silent and close the doors and not say anything and not push back. You know, we, we don't want to get on their bad side. Y'all with me? Y'all doing okay? Amen. It's 2023. You're expecting government to always support the Christian community and the Christian church. Better wake up. We better wake up. We better wake up. Even in this country, we're seeing those things, those standards, those morals. We're seeing them fall by the wayside. And the church has to continue to promote. And it's going to take some outlasting, some withstanding. You're not going to be able to operate at half a percentage. You're, not, you're going to have to be the best version of yourself. You're not going to be able to be weary and exhausted and wore out. It's not going to work. We got to be at full strength, full strength. So verse 23 says this, being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Now watch this, watch their response. When they had heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of your servant David has said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against Christ, his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats 
and strike them dead. Is that what it says? Look on their threats and smoke them. Look on their threats and appease us. No, it says look on their threats and grant to your servants with what? Boldness that we may speak your, we may do more of what just got us in trouble. We're talking about resisting. We're talking about at last. They end up having a church service out of this thing. Look at verse 30. Verse 30. I promise it's in there. By stretching out your hand to heal. How did they get in trouble? Healing a layman? When's the last time you asked God for more of what got you in trouble? The last time. By stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were all filled with the whole. How were they filled in chapter four if they were already filled in chapter two? It's pretty interesting all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. I want to give you three ways that we strengthen our resistance exemplified here in Acts chapter four. Number one, refuse intimidation. Refuse intimidation. Not just from the devil. Of course, we don't need to accept any intimidation from the devil. If you ever have a thought of anxiety, Worry, insufficiency, insecurity, not enough. That's not from God. He's trying to intimidate you. He's trying to weaken you. He's trying to challenge who you are. He's trying to doubt, get you to doubt who you are. He did this to Jesus. If you are the son of God, how are you going to question the word of God? How are you going to question the son of God? But he knows if I can get you to doubt your, your identity, you'll compromise in your purpose. You'll compromise in your assignment. And so the enemy wants to intimidate you, weaken you. But this also means that we don't fear man. We don't fear what man can do to us. In fact, Jesus said that. What can man do to you? What can man do to us? He says, you can kill the physical body, but you cannot take away my purpose, my assignment, my plan that God has for my life. And you think in killing the physical body, you've done away with me. That's, no, it's, that's not true. Jesus said this. What do we have to fear? We cannot be going through life with the fear of man, a fear of what they'll say a fear of how they'll respond, a fear of what might happen. You know, this, is, uh, this happened, you know, obviously in 2020 for a lot of pastors and a lot of churches. You know, we were on the pedestal of how are we gonna respond to all this crisis? How are we gonna respond to all these issues? How are we gonna respond? Are we gonna love people? Are we gonna honor our leaders? Are we, it just, you know, just a mess. And guys, we were, we were wrong if we did and wrong if we didn't. There was a lose-lose situation. I'm getting an email either way. 
If I padlock the doors, I'm getting an email from someone saying, you're a coward, you're weak, you, you don't operate in faith, you're operating in fear, we're never coming back to your church. And if I open it up, I'm a murderer. Because apparently people die here, but they don't die at Home Depot and Longhorn Steakhouse and Walmart. <laughs> right? This is the stuff we went through. At the end of the day, it came down to, do you fear man? Do you fear what man can do to you? Do you fear what man can do to your reputation? Do you fear what man might say about you? No, we got to be able to resist, withstand, and outlast, regardless of what people think. And they were not intimidated. They actually looked them in the eye and said, y'all do what you got to do. But for us, we got to do what Jesus told us to do. And we're not coming off of that. Now, they didn't do it in a dishonoring way. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they did not dishonor King Nebuchadnezzar. They just said, we're not going along with that plan. Right? And so there's a way to do it. But again, remember, we don't war against flesh and blood. It's principalities and power. There's a spirit behind the, the agenda. Spirit behind the right. Spirit behind the left. Spirit behind this community and that problem and that issue. We gotta keep our eyes on the right thing. Number two, recall his faithfulness. How are we strengthening our resistance? Number one, we refuse intimidation. Number two, we recall his faithfulness. Look again there at their words in Acts chapter four and verse 25. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage? The people plot vain things. The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers never, uh, the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod Pontius Pilate uh, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. They are worshiping the Lord. They are remembering his word. They're remembering his plan. They're remembering, you said these things were gonna happen. And it's, it's, it's interesting that the enemy will rob his future when, he can't re, when you can't remember what God has done. When we fail to recall, he did it before, he'll do it again. He did it for them, he'll do it for me. It's amazing how strong how strengthened, how invigorated you can get when you remind yourself of what God has done. We were at, we were on the, we were on the, we were not just the bottom of the barrel, we were under the barrel. And look where we are today. Remember what God did. Remember what God brought you through. Remember how God saved you. Remember how God redeemed you. They go back to their own company and they start worshiping and praising God. Most of us, this would have been a great opportunity to complain, to grumble. Can't believe they said that. We'd post about it, tweet about it, share it, right? You ever notice that complainers and grumblers, they, they always like to hang out in groups and they feed off each other? No, this is an opportunity for them to praise and worship God, to honor who he is regardless of what's happening. So number one, we refuse intimidation. Number two, we recall his faithfulness. Number three, rely on the Holy Spirit. How are you gonna resist and withstand in the last day? How are you gonna outlast your opponent? How are you gonna maintain consistency, not the up and the down? How are you gonna 
Keep yourself away from wearying thoughts and exhausting thoughts and tiring thoughts. You gotta rely on the Holy Spirit. And notice that this is not just the initial occurrence. Oh, I received the Holy Spirit. Because we saw that they received the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two. And now here, only two chapters later, they're back under the filling of the Holy Spirit. They're back in that moment. It's not just getting filled with the Holy Spirit. It's staying filled. This word actually is be being filled, meaning stay consistently filled. Ephesians chapter five tells us to be filled with the Holy Spirit continuously. Guys, we cannot stand, resist, outlast, withstand the enemy in this last day without a proper reliance and dependence on the Holy Spirit. It was with the power of the Holy Spirit that Peter spoke up. It was with the power of the Holy Spirit that they spoke in boldness and they didn't back down and compromise. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that kept them fighting even when their natural lives were on the line. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that allowed them to pray a prayer, grant to your servants more boldness that we may see more signs and wonders at your hand. Not fear, not intimidation, not backing down, not giving up, not giving in, outlasting as Ephesians chapter six tells us to do. Outlast, withstand, resist the devil. And you're gonna do it by refusing intimidation, recalling his faithfulness and relying on the Holy Spirit. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.